Welcome to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. Let's discuss Marvin Gaye. What you are about to hear is deeply disturbing. The man you've been waiting for. And the minute he said that, everybody just burst out in applause and stood up. And he said, the man who brought you, how sweet it is. And the crowd went crazy. I heard it through the grapevine, and they applauded and applauded. And ladies and gentlemen, we bring you our pride and joy, Mr. Marvin Gaye. I'm going to try to tell you something you might not know and certainly play some stuff for you. So he was born Marvin Pence Gay Jr. 1939. His last name is spelt Gay, G-A-Y, and he changed it to G-A-Y-E because of the implications of having the name Gay, especially back in those days. He died at age 44, so he'd been uh, 77, 78 by now. He was born dirt poor, Pentecostal upbringing with brutal abuse by his father. Marvin Gay Sr. was not only a preacher, but was also a cross-dresser. There's a book called Divided Soul, The Life of Marvin Gaye by David Ritz. It kind of breaks that down if you want to read the horrible details. But Marvin described living in his father's house as being similar to living with the king, a very peculiar, cruel, and all-powerful king. And from everything I've read and heard, that's about right. Beatings, perhaps sexual abuse, all kinds of strange, strange stuff. And it eventually led to his death. If you didn't know, Marvin Gaye's father shot him to death, and I'll get to that later. Marvin was in the Air Force briefly. He ran away, but couldn't be submissive militarily. He pretty much joined to get away, get out of his house, and get out of his conditions. And Marvin really fancied himself originally being sort of a black Sinatra. I think I'd mentioned that before. He's a really classy dresser, sophisticated, gentlemanly, and, and more mature than a lot of people his age at the time. It's quarter to three Ain't nobody here Except you and me So set him up Joe I got a little story Hey 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 Lord I want you to know We are drinking my friend Of a brief episode Oh Lord 
make it one for my baby. Yeah, one for the road. He had been a session drummer and a songwriter. He played drums on the song Mr. Postman and Fingertips Part 2 by Stevie Wonder. He co-wrote Dancing in the Streets. Now, Barry Gordy had a sister named Anna that Marvin eventually married. So for a while, he kind of came to fame as Tammy Terrell's co-singer partner. I think that was a couple of years. And they acted and they sang like they were in love, but they weren't a couple. And she collapsed in his arms from a brain tumor. And the legend was that she died in his arms on stage. And I'd heard that myself. They sang songs like, Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing, and You're All I Need to Get By. While Tammy's health was declining, he slipped into a long, depressive era. I don't know what the uh, magic or the uh, electricity was between Tammy Terrell and Marvin Gaye, but you could see that there was a genuine devotion for each other. She was singing with Marvin at a college gig in Virginia, and um, she just collapsed on stage after a few numbers and, and was taken backstage, and people thought, you know, not too much of it at the time. She was diagnosed with a brain tumour. Um, she was operated on several times um, and she went back to work. But Tammy never recovered and her condition gradually deteriorated until she died in 1970. I think Marvin was totally devastated by the whole thing. I think it was totally, and I, I don't know that he ever really got over Tammy's death. Depression would kind of stay with him the rest of his life. And he had his first number one on his own, solo, with I Heard It Through the Grapevine. Now, how great is that song? I don't know that I've ever heard a bad version of that song recorded. I love the version by Credence Clearwater Revival. I really enjoyed the version by Gladys Knight and the Pips. But when he had his hit, and it was his first number one, he felt guilty. I felt like undeserving of it. He thought that somehow her ill fortune might have contributed to the sales of his record, and he wanted no part of that. When she died in 1970, he went into seclusion for a long time with uh, serious depression.
So while they acted like they were in love, clearly he had emotions for her that were much deeper than just on a business level. interesting things I found out about him was that he had tried out for the Detroit Lions. Um, he'd kind of like gotten ready and he trained with some friends. He went to the coach and asked him for a chance to try out. The coach was in disbelief. Here's a guy who hadn't ever played football, but he felt like he would be good at doing it. So the coach let him sort of try out, but it wasn't the real thing. He, he was kept off the field ultimately. When Gay approached Lions coach Joe Schmidt about trying out for the team, Schmidt asked him if he had any game tape. That's when the coach learned that Marvin Gay had no formal football experience, in college or even in high school. Undeterred, Gay told Schmidt, quote, If you give me a chance, the first time I touch the ball, I'll score a touchdown. Schmidt wasn't willing to let one of Motown's biggest stars get injured, however, ending Marvin Gay's NFL career before it even began. But if you can imagine the times, late 60s, early 70s, Vietnam and Nixon, there was major unrest. We were having our first serious discussions about the ecology. Marvin wanted to do a political album. He wanted to be able to talk about the things that he was seeing. Barry Gordy had built this empire and this brand by somewhat playing it safe. Now, I'm not taking away from that at all. There is plenty of room for the kind of music that Motown had, that which really, I think, brought people together. Still to this day, you hear Motown songs, they really warm your heart. But Marvin wanted to go beyond that. He wanted to do something that really didn't fit the usual Motown canon. And so he started working on what's going on. He says, I recorded the best album I've ever done, and nobody likes it. When that was released in 1971, that was a major work of art. In my top five albums of all time, right behind the Beatles, I just think this album is untouchable. It is literally perfect. It's a gem. There's not a bad second on that record. And I would highly recommend that you listen to it all the way through to get what I'm saying. It's much more than just a couple of singles. 
you know, Mercy, Mercy Me, The Ecology, wonderful song, What's Going On, wonderful song. But get in there to the depth of what really makes this album come alive. Marvin did that, he really kind of opened the door for Stevie Wonder and uh, even The Temptations, other bands to start getting more political and start being more overt in what they were trying to say instead of keeping it down and not saying anything for the sake of selling records. He showed that a record could be a major hit and still have something to say. And he was really the first soul artist to get his career from under a label. Without him, Stevie Wonder probably wouldn't have been able to go where he went, and certainly not Prince. Everybody thinks we're mother. Who are they to judge us? Mother, mother. Simply call me sweet where I have mother, mother. So after that, Marvin signed a new record deal with Motown, which was worth a million dollars, which doesn't sound like a lot now, but back then it was the most uh, lucrative deal by a black artist. And he had full creative control of his work, which is fantastic. And I think, including what's going on, he put out five brilliant albums in a row. They all have their issues with what's going on being the only one that is just a diamond, but they're all fantastic. If you're at all interested 
and the Sardist, I, I recommend that you go for some of these middle period albums. sexually charged albums ever was released in 1973. Let's Get It On became the most commercially successful album of Marvin Gaye's career and everybody knows the song. Want You came out in 76. Really strong record. The interesting thing to me is that the album cover was, I believe, the same painting that is shown at the end of Good Times. And I think that was based on uh, a painting called Sugar Shack, but I, I'm not really sure. In addition to his incredible vocals, he plays piano, he plays electric keyboards, electric bass, he does synthesizers, horns, percussion. And there's a list of guys who play on this record, but all of them, you can feel, they're just in the mix, and the, the takes sound very spontaneous and real. 
Again, really cool record. It has a little bit of a disco thing going on, but it's still pretty funky, and it's kind of a controversial album, I guess for the time. It was pushing it a little bit with the the sensual themes, that kind of thing. But great makeout record, man. Gave us Marvin Gaye live at the London Palladium, and that featured the song Got to Give It Up. Later in 2013, the song Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke, with Pharrell Williams as a co-writer, was the subject of a lawsuit. The jury found that Blurred Lines did infringe on Got to Give It Up, and the children of Marvin Gaye got $8 million.
next record is just fascinating to me. I love these kinds of records. An album called Here My Dear came out in 1978. I guess I'll have to say this album is dedicated to you. Although perhaps I may not be happy. The story is that Marvin had to go to court to deal with his divorce, and the judge decreed that he had to give up two albums for Anna Gordy, and that was going to be his divorce settlement. So what Marvin did was he went and he made a double album about their divorce and presented that to her, Here My Dear. And this is the album from which you're going to get royalties. Hey, Anna, here's your song. Yeah, the one that I promise, baby, promise you all along. No one had ever thought of artists self-sabotaging, and I'm not saying that's what's happening here because I think it's a really good record, but he was doing something beyond trying to sell albums at this point. It's pretty hilarious. Even the album cover of him kind of shows him handing these two gold records to a woman's hand on the back of the cover. One of the stories I heard about making the record was that he had all these friends who were obviously in the music industry and were badass players, and he would invite them to his house, and he'd get them liquored up a little bit, they'd play some basketball, and then he'd say, hey, let's go down to the studio. And then he would kind of coax them through these uh, threads of songs, these embryonic types of uh, sketches that he had for the album. And being on a Marvin Gaye record is a treat for anybody, but these were session guys. They wanted to get paid, and they wanted to get songwriting credit, and he would kind of use them while they were there to kind of uh, pad out what eventually became the album. But he did play a whole lot of uh, keyboards on the record. The, the production on it is excellent. And the songs just really get to the point of exactly what it is he's trying to say in sometimes very detailed, specific ways. What could I do? The judge said she got to keep on And this is a record you got to live with a little bit. You know, the first track, Here My Dear, not bad. Uh, I met a little girl. When did you stop loving me? When did I stop loving you? Anger. One of the tracks is even called You Can Leave, But It's Going to Cost You. But when you get into side two, is that enough? I've been through a divorce. And this record, this particular song, Is That Enough, really speaks to me. Oh. 
Anna Gordy thought about suing him. The critics were all up his ass about it. The next year, he went into another seclusion, another deep depression. This album flopped. I think it could have been a fine single album. In fact, it would have been a lot stronger. Knowing his motives makes it that much more enjoyable to, to listen to the whole thing. When did you stop Another interesting story I heard was of Diana Ross and Marvin doing an album in the early 70s for Motown, and it was a duet album, but they were not in the studio at the same time. Apparently, Diana Ross was pregnant, and Marvin was smoking. He didn't want to quit smoking, and uh, they couldn't deal with each other in the studio, so this might have been the first time that duet album was recorded in two different places at two different times. That's become somewhat normal, especially, I I know that happened a lot with the Frank Sinatra duet albums. for a while, but he eventually put out an album called In Our Lifetime, 
was 81. And it turned out it was released before it was meant to, and the record company had altered it and edited it. wasn't too happy with the end results but he had also been working on an album called the love man which was a disco album and i've seen the cover of it and it's pretty bad the in our lifetime album cover is also fairly indicative of the listening experience but in 1982 he made the comeback and he did an album called midnight love that's when sexual healing blew up Marvin Gaye's first and only Grammy. I've waited a very long time, 20-some years, to win an award such as this. Thank you, ladies. We love you. Stay with us. We're going to try to give you more. God love you. This is about the time I started paying attention because I had seen him sing the Star Spangled Banner. You could just feel the energy from the crowd really getting behind him on that. And he won some Grammys. He really seemed on top of his game. Now along with the United States Marine Color Guard to sing the national anthem, famed recording artist Marvin Gaye. Yeah. 
problem was now he had money again and he was able to feed his drug habits and so his demons and his paranoia led him to wear a bulletproof vest you know he would be covered with bodyguards whenever he'd go anywhere and eventually his drug addiction just whacked him out so much he isolated himself and moved into his parents house this is where it gets ugly he had threatened to commit suicide several times through the years and in particular in uh, arguments with his dad. His dad really held something over him for most of his life. And so Marvin Gaye Sr. shot Marvin to death on April Fool's 1984. And whatever's been said about his father, it's kind of come to light more recently that Marvin really did push his father. He almost wanted to have him kill him rather than commit suicide. And he had really pushed him to where it got physical, and his father pulled out a gun and shot him in the chest at point-blank range. Marvin Gaye Sr. armed himself with a handgun and fired uh, several shots, wounding uh, Marvin Gaye Jr. The, the father, I remember, was demonized and everything, but finally there was an autopsy, and, and he was uh, Marvin was on coke and PCP. He was drunk at the time, and it was just a really tragic time. I remember that being such a big deal in the black community and in music in general, but I just remember the aching and, and just the... I'd remembered what it felt like when, when uh, John Lennon died, and then I think this felt very much like that to a community that listened to him, that really did look to him as a, a voice of their generation. So after that, of course, there's posthumous albums that came out. There's one called Dream of a Lifetime. It's not good. It's incredibly controversial and just pieced together. And they just use him fucking around the studio saying filthy things or singing, you know, the kind of bullshit that happens when you're in the studio all the time. But tape was rolling and somebody got a hold of that. And so, you know, to cash in, they put out Dream of a Lifetime. It pissed a lot of people off at the time. I remember that. Not bad. No, no. Get your ass in gear. Come closer here. Your passion sweat now is it wet? I'll jam you till you fight. You're no sight. I'll rock you till you soar like a whore. And then he was inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987. Hopefully that's more of the Marvin that everybody remembers because this guy was incredibly talented. Um, I know that there's been multiple attempts to make biographical film about him and they haven't taken off and. I might be happy for that if they did a whack job like they did with uh, uh, James Brown. They just, it, man, it's really hard to capture these guys. These biopics that get made are either really excellent, ex are really excellent, like Ray, because Jamie Foxx became Ray Charles, or they're really shitty because the writers don't know the artist very well, the actor sometimes doesn't even know much about the artist and doesn't capture that where i mean just hats off to jamie fox and ray i don't know if they'll ever be a, a biographical film done as well as that because he became the character i mean so much more than the johnny cash movie or any of the other movies the doors movie any of that he really did become the embodiment of ray charles and that is a one in a billion shot i hope that they could do something with Marvin Gaye that way. I just can't imagine what artists could carry it. La, 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 la,
So do yourself a favor, dig into Marvin Gaye. All of his Motown singles were hot. I mean, they're really just catchy, fantastic songs. He had a lot to do with his art, probably a lot more than most Motown artists as far as the writing and the production and getting there and getting his hands dirty. But I really want to encourage you to dig into these middle period albums. Even if you go to Got to Give It Up, that single, which was on the uh, Marvin Live album, that's fantastic. Trouble Man, Let's Get It On, I Want You, Here My Dear. Dig those at records. But first... Go back to where it really, really, really just exploded for him, and that's what's going on. One of the best albums ever made. Incredible production. There is nothing about it that's not perfect. been produced by Donnie Shattuck. Father, stop criticizing your son. Mother, please leave your daughters alone. Somebody to be their own piece of play.